We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Way early this morning, Brad Higdon shared a major spoiler alert from everyone's favorite hit show, Sad Emojis, to express his feelings about the plot twist and a playlist he made to drown out his sorrows? Dude, oversharing alert. Brad, Geico has something worth sharing with those who haven't defriended you. Like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance at Geico.com. So stop moping about the post-apocalyptic world and start saving in the real world. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Our fantasy football podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit for a free contest entry today. I'm Derek Van Riper, joined today by Mario Puig. This is our first episode of the 2015 season, our second season on the air with you. And of course, this podcast is available for subscription on iTunes and Stitcher. So please leave us a nice review if you happen to be listening on those platforms. Uh, Rotowire has become kind of a, a podcast machine over the last six to eight months. So just search Rotowire in your preferred podcatcher. You'll find all sorts of new offerings. Mario uh, leads our new college football podcast. Uh, Adam Wolf leads our DFS podcast. Uh, we're going to have a hockey podcast launching in the near future. There's a draft kit podcast out there. Pretty much every possible podcast you can imagine, uh, we have it covered. A lot of ground to cover, and we're going to do that throughout the rest of this month. I mean, training camp news, of course, will trickle in, but we're going to take a look at the big stories from the past few months that have really shaped up the draft board for the upcoming season. 
I want to start with Russell Wilson. Of all the things to start with, I'm not sure why I want to start with Wilson. Maybe it's because people are treating him like a top five fantasy quarterback, Mario. And frankly, Russell Wilson is the league's best celibate quarterback since Tim Tebow. He's got a new weapon in Jimmy Graham, which is one of the bigger offseason acquisitions, big trade between the Saints and the Seahawks. Is it an overpay if you're taking Wilson as one of the first five quarterbacks off the board on draft day? Or do you think the Seahawks could actually turn him loose, let him throw the ball a bit more in year four, and ultimately return some sort of profit at that upgraded price? I think you could definitely argue like pretty easily that he, he's worth taking a top five among the quarterbacks. I guess the only question is it's like, is it worth taking him as high as it's going to take to get him? Because, I mean, when we look at the other guys in the tier immediately afterward, it's like there are names like Ben Roethlisberger, Tony Romo, um, guys that I don't mind waiting for, you know, getting like four rounds later than Russell Wilson, whoever the other top three quarterbacks are going to be. Um, but, yeah, he's like the Jimmy Graham thing is definitely pretty interesting because even though he's had through the roof efficiency numbers his whole career, uh, the best receiver that we've had with Wilson is Golden Tate pretty much. And that's that's definitely a good thing. But uh, Jimmy Graham can obviously score touchdowns better than that. So if they actually use Graham and don't do what they did with Zach Miller, who they signed to like a seven million a year deal from Oakland like four years ago, just to immediately have him do nothing but block um, that that should be a, a, a different kind of look for Wilson. And he has a skill set to exploit it, certainly. Graham certainly has the skill set the Seahawks could have used for the last play they ran in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Obviously, if you want to throw in close, he's the kind of guy you'd want to have on the roster. Uh, so I don't know if they also have some kind of time machine scenario lined up where they can go back and run that play again. But even with Graham, you probably hand that ball off to Marshawn Lynch. Sorry, Seahawks fans. I'm still, I'm still bitter about the Packers-Seahawks game before that. So until I get over that, I'm going to bring up the Super Bowl just to make Seahawks fans upset oh sorry i was gonna mention the uh, ea sports madden twitter account like t- took a hatchet to the seahawks twitter account when they, they 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 had like some friendly uh hey can we get some kind of more truck rating for marshawn lynch please or something <laughs> and uh yeah they're oh, i can't remember what they what they they did but they posted back basically a page of like every madden play on the playbook was just a halfback dive I said, like, one of these would have been nice. The sickest of burns, really. I mean, that, that's the best thing about Twitter. Sick burns on Twitter all day long. Uh, so Wilson is a top-five quarterback. I think we're, we're both okay with this idea. The thing is, is that there isn't that much of an upgrade. Wilson versus Newton, Roethlisberger, Romo, some of the other quarterbacks who are going to go a few rounds after that. I'm inclined to wait personally. Like I, I think Ben Roethlisberger is capable of finishing like top five this year and he never seems to go that high in drafts. So I'm, I'm going after him a lot. Like to wait on cam, Tony Romo, even, even somebody like Matt Stafford. I mean, I don't think he's any, I mean, I think he's average at best in real football terms, but uh, the last year, which wasn't that good by his standards was a clear anomaly out of the, the previous, you know, three year window. So if he can bounce back a little bit, get some more you know garbage yardage like he did the two previous years, he could be a totally good you know quarterback one value that you just don't really have to pay much for. Now, related to Wilson, you look at Graham, and I think a lot of people are downgrading him based off of a, a somewhat disappointing season a year ago for the Saints. There was a point where Jimmy Graham couldn't lift his arms above his head because of a shoulder injury that he had. Uh, he played through it anyway, played in all 16 games, still caught 85 balls, still had double-digit touchdowns for the third season out of the last four you talk about a guy that's just put up ridiculous numbers for the tight end position pretty much year in year out since 2011 can he continue to be an 80 catch guy with double digit tds uh, with this offense because as we've seen the seahawks will pound the ball when they're in close more often than not and they may not spend as much time in the red zone as a team like new orleans because simply their defense is better they don't have to score as many points there as a result fewer red zone targets potentially even though when they do get into the red zone he's a big part of their plan so how much if at all are you downgrading your expectations for Jimmy Graham with the move out of New Orleans into Seattle I think I have to downgrade him a little bit just because I don't trust the Seahawks to give him you know uh, uh, obviously they, they don't run that many plays in general they don't pass that many times relative to how many times they run and we we don't have a history in Seattle of Pete Carroll using tight ends so basically, like whether you think Graham is, you know, comparable to, I mean, his value in New Orleans, I think is a question of just do you have faith that Pete Carroll will go to his offensive coordinator and be like, 
hey, let's let's rearrange things a bit, feed this guy. I know we haven't done it before, but just do it. Like, this is what we're doing now. Um, it makes all the sense in the world to do that. It seems like they have to, given their investment in him. Um, and yet, like, they had, they spent a bunch to get guys like Percy Harvin and Sidney Rice in the past just to, like, not really use them either. And Zach Miller, like I said, $7 million a year. That was, like, four years ago or something when, you know, it was there was a lower cap or whatever. Players don't get paid as much just year to year um, as free agents. So that was a big investment back then. They just didn't use him. Um, I think Graham will be different because it's, like, obviously – also with all, all the money they got in Wilson now it's like you gotta you gotta maximize that money and those are the two probably most expensive non-Richard Sherman players on the team um so yeah I think it makes sense to just run the offense through those two give Lynch everything else and it's like leave those awful receivers to the periphery if possible is Percy Harvin just one of those kitchen gadget infomercials where you you watch it on tv you see like magic bullet and it, it purees a block of, of chopped up cheddar cheese into queso somehow. Like by some magic, you push the button and it goes from solid, cold pieces of cheese to perfectly warm queso. So you, you buy this thing. You, you buy the magic bullet because you see the infomercial. It shows up. You open up the box and you realize just how much it sucks, like how terrible the product actually is. I feel like that's what Percy Harvin is. Like from afar, he looks intriguing because he has some speed has that shiftiness, has that versatility, looks like he can do a lot of different things. And then he shows up and you're like, really? Like, this is this is it? This is all I have? Yeah, he's he's like the platinum plated uh, garlic smasher or something. It's like, just looks amazing. And then it's like, eh, I don't really want this, actually. Um, but yeah, he's he, as far as Harvin goes, he's apparently kind of not, not really doing the best for himself in Buffalo, like needing special instructions on the routes that he's running. And he's like, you know, his seventh year in the league. So that's kind of inexcusable and then there's of course the uh the 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 kind of awesome story about how he's the most hated teammate in the nfl um so yeah i I guess there's a lot of uh head issues there too not not just uh you know that 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 kitchen gadget might have some use it's just that it's it's just not very fun to hang around i guess yeah i mean and you could uh if you really needed to use like a magic bullet to i don't know like flatten out a piece of chicken like you could cover the chicken and smack it a bunch of times. The equivalent of that is putting Percy Harvin at corner, which Harvin has actually spent some time at corner for the Bills. With What on earth are they doing? I, I, who cares about Percy Harvin, though, to be completely honest? He's one of many uh, pieces they have in Buffalo who I, I just don't think is going to have a, a significant week-to-week role. Uh, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he looks amazing, according to those who are around the team every day, and his suspension has been reduced down to two games. Uh, D'Angelo Williams brought in during the offseason, likely to take over the starting role for those first two weeks. Is, is Le'Veon Bell still worth the first overall pick, even without the benefit of those first two games? Because I think when you look at a, a per-play basis and a per-game basis, especially in PPR leagues, it's hard to find a player that you would like better going into the season. Yeah, so in PPR especially, it's like you don't you don't even need to show up for the debate. Like he's obviously worth it. Um, I would say the same is true in non PPR. Um, although in, in non PPR, like I think Adrian Peterson is who I would take first between the two. But in PPR, like our projections have Bell, uh, you know, slated for like thirty more receptions than Peterson. Like that's that's such a huge like automatic you know bonus like automatic you know advantage there to have just. 30 points like up front and then it's like the Pittsburgh offense should be one of the highest scoring in the league and he should he's he's you know gonna have double digit touchdowns too in addition to all this you know yardage from scrimmage that he's gonna have uh so yeah he's he's awesome even with the two game suspension um I mean you could argue that it's like roughly the equivalent to you know the decline plus injury risk of a player of Peterson's age or something um so yeah I PPR definitely take him first overall um I would probably go Peterson in the North Turner offense if if it was non-PPR but Bell probably shouldn't fall past the second pick in really any scenario so Peterson among the players that I've seen go first overall in some drafts I think he went first overall in the uh, Sirius XM host draft that was going on this morning he's expected to get a heavy workload they've got Jarek mckinnon so they've got an alternative they can use good change of pace back when you have a bruiser like ap and obviously really no pun intended there this is a guy that just has a supremely physical running style and we don't really know where he's at in terms of skills i mean he's he's 30 years old but everything you've seen 
He is not really 30. He doesn't look like a 30-year-old. His, his birth no. certificate might say that, but he isn't. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, he's just, you know, like the, the Jerry Rice of this generation where it's just like none of the rules apply. It's just, it's just a different case. Uh, but, yeah, he's by all accounts, he kind of looks as freakish as ever right now. And, like, again, the North Turner factor on a team that's improving, you know, they got, they got really solid offensive personnel, uh, room to improve. And I think Peterson... Uh, you know, not 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 like the two thousand yard year or whatever, but I could see this being like his best year otherwise in his career because North Turner has such a good history with running backs. I mean, he's you know bad head coach, but one of the best offensive coordinators probably you know ever and certainly in any recent era. So yeah, I love I love the idea of Peterson working with North because he's made much lesser running backs quite productive. I would take the over on our projection for catches for AP. We've got him projected for 36 catches this year. I could see him finishing in that 45, maybe even the 50 range. Because if you look at the number of every down backs in the league, it's, it's dwindling. I mean, year over year, that continues to change. More teams leaning on two guys than ever before. They don't have to do that. I mean, he has the skills. He's done it before. He's had two seasons in his career where he's caught at least 40 passes. This could be maybe his best season yet as a receiver at age 30. And I don't think the 3.6 yards per carry we saw in one game last year is indicative of decline. I think you're right. This is one of the most physically gifted athletes we have seen probably in the last 20 years in the league. And he's an obsessive worker, like truly obsessive. Like the guy is just like pure motivation all the time. You could see it. I mean, you could you could see it in any photo of him or any any video clips you'll see of this guy this summer. He's going to look like Peterson from a few years ago, I think, is is the potential. Uh, so certainly a strong case to be made for him at first overall. And I know some people are, are kind of high on, on Teddy Bridgewater and what he might be able to do in the Minnesota offense. I think the bottom line for the Vikings is that with, with two guys who can run it effectively, with Peterson back in the fold and a guy in McKinnon who I think can be a game-breaker on some big plays, they don't have to throw it that much. Teddy Bridgewater's job is to basically not make mistakes and let AP in the running game along with that defense really kind of just steer the ship. Yeah, yeah. And, and North, North has gotten good results out of, you know, again, lesser quarterbacks than Bridgewater, too. Um, so, it, yeah, just they're going to feed Peterson, keep the safeties on their toes and, you know, go play action, get get Bridgewater some single coverage with Mike Wallace, Charles Johnson. Um, I think it'll be like one of the most efficient offenses in the league, although it might not have, you know, as much volume as some other ones. One of the most discussed teams of this offseason, Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of changes in Eagles camp as uh, training camp is underway. Uh, DeMarco Murray is in along with Ryan Matthews. LaShawn McCoy out as part of a trade to Buffalo. Linebacker Kiko Alonso uh, in Philadelphia now, hopefully giving a boost to that Eagles defense. Uh, LaShawn McCoy didn't take his parties to Buffalo, though, still having the uh, ladies-only parties in Philadelphia. So, you know... Good for him to uh, continue working the cheesesteak territory <laughs> in that regard. But you got Murray, you've got Matthews. Uh, clearly conscious decisions here because Murray was signed as a free agent, as was Matthews, and flipping a guy like McCoy uh, for help on defense only to go out and, and add at the running back position. It's not as though the Eagles look at their offense and say, we can plug anybody in here and they can have success. They went out and found two guys who they felt like were ideal fits for them. Is it possible? I know the, the volume last year was crazy high for DeMarco Murray, but from a fantasy standpoint, could his value, could his per-touch value actually go up to the point where he doesn't lose that much from last season's production? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I, I think, obviously, it was a pretty favorable situation in Dallas with that offensive line, which by most measures is probably the best run-blocking unit there. Um, but Philadelphia's offensive line, I mean, Kelly in general gets pretty good run blocking results out of his offensive line, um, always has, but yeah, I mean, Murray averaged 4.7 yards per carry last year. Um, the volume has to be scaled back, like, especially in the carry department. Um, but even if he's only like, you know, 290 carries instead of 390, you could easily imagine the, the average going from 4.7 to at least 5.2, which is what he had the previous year in Dallas. Um, maybe even more than that. You can also imagine his reception, uh, his his receiving average per catch uh, improving from 7.3 last year. He only has one receiving touchdown on 100 and his last 110 catches, which uh, actually won on 171 in his career. So it seems like he's kind of due for a spree there too. But yeah, I mean, that team's going to, I have every bit of faith that that team's going to score points and Murray would have to have a lot to do with it if they do. Um, so yeah, I don't, 
what for for what LaShawn's opinion is worth, he I believe said that uh they're going to give Murray pretty much like a workhorse role. Uh Matthews will primarily play if Murray gets hurt, which you know he has a history of certainly. And Sproles will just run routes and not really anything else. So it's kind of easy to see that occurring. Um, it was pretty much their model last year. But obviously, Ryan Matthews is a far better alternative than Chris Polk or whatever. Yeah, I like Matthews as a handcuff. The cost isn't too bad this year in drafts. You get to those middle rounds. If you're employing kind of a zero running back strategy, he's one of those guys you can put in the pile. And you know, if and DeMarco good. Murray gets banged up, you've got a, a skilled guy who... I mean, Matthews only played six games last year. He averaged 4.5 yards per carry last year in San Diego, 4.4 yards per carry in 2013 while going for 12.55 on the ground two years ago. And he's shown the ability to catch some passes too, caught 50 balls back in 2011. Uh, Health has been a problem for Matthews, but at times it's been a major issue for DeMarco Murray. So I think between the two, the Eagles have the pieces in place to get back to being one of the league's premier rushing attacks this year. And I think Murray is a late first rounder or early second rounder I'm really happy to get him there. If I don't have one of those first five picks, if I'm back half around one and Murray's still sitting there at pick nine, pick 10, pick 11, I like him quite a bit. I understand the case for going receiver first and then getting him coming back in round two because there's kind of a drop off at receiver. Uh, but I, this looks like a great spot for both of these backs. Now, you got Jordan Matthews moving into the number one receiver role. I'm not overly concerned about that. I think he can handle it, uh, basically give you a Jeremy Macklin type return statistically, even though he's a different type of player physically. The question is behind him, Nelson Aguilar, rookie out of USC, what can he do in year one, especially in an offense that may be quarterbacked by Sam Bradford? It's 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 hard to tell from this far away. I think I'm, I'm I think we can scratch off Riley Cooper from the cheat sheet. Um, it looks like what they've had in their uh, their initial first team in camp, uh, Aguilar was on the was not a part of it. It was Jordan Matthews in the slot, Cooper and Josh Huff at the outside spots. Um, that's something that I mean, Huff and Cooper could be difficult to get out of the picture if if Chip Kelly really values their outside run blocking. Like Huff's a good run blocker in particular, but uh, neither of them is even close to Aguilar in terms of like receiving talent. So. It, a couple things other to, uh, otherwise to consider is, well, maybe they will lean on Zach Ertz finally to fill some of that void. Um, he should, you know, theoretically be a more polished receiver route runner than Aguilar. Aguilar being a rookie, Ertz a third-year guy, second-round pick. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell for certain, but it seems like somebody has to step up additionally. Um, and it, I don't think it's going to be Cooper or Huff. So it's between Aguilar and Ertz for me. But it's kind of a coin flip thing because you never really know with rookies. It is possible that Aguilar is, you know, brilliant mind for the game, catches everything in the playbook right away. And in that case, it's going to be hard for them to keep him off the field. But otherwise, Ertz is kind of like that lower ceiling uh, alternative that they might go to, especially earlier in the year if Aguilar needs time to adjust. Health has really betrayed him for the last couple of years. Miles Austin sort of quietly added to the mix in Philadelphia. I mean, the last time you could rely on him on a week-to-week basis, probably 2012, and even that's a stretch just because he wasn't out there uh, at 100%. It seemed like he really fell off the face of the earth uh, the year before that and only played 10 games for the Cowboys. Any chance the Eagles find a way to just keep him healthy and, and kind of make him surprisingly productive? Because this this looks like a depth chart where anybody beyond Jordan Matthews has a chance of being relevant if he seems to fit the system well. Yeah, I mean, it's not saying much, but I'd probably rather roll the dice on Miles Austin than Riley Cooper if I were the Eagles. They're not, I don't, there's no way that he's going to end up, that Cooper would end up behind Austin on the depth chart, I don't think, at least not to start the year, if only because of the investments. The, re, the investments in the two are very different. They've actually, they're actually paying Cooper. Um, but yeah, Austin, it's, it's hard to know because it's like he's just been hobbled for you know, literally years now. He was really good before that, but it's, it's just kind of it's hard to have faith in something changing after such a long time of always being hurt. As far as the tight end position goes, still have Zach Ertz, still have Brent Selleck there. Uh, last year, Ertz caught 58 balls, 702 yards, three touchdowns. Possible that he takes a big step forward at that number two receiver spot unsettled? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, it's like I, I can imagine that Philadelphia is looking at it as if Aguilar catches on, if he shows what we need to see out of him, uh, yeah, we're going to lean on him when he's able. But if not, like Ertz is kind of a higher floor, lower ceiling, lower ceiling receiving option in the meantime. They, they probably have a pretty good idea of what they can get out of him. And, you know, he's, he's at least insurance that they, that they can turn to if, if no one steps up aside from Matthews. Now, 
waiting on a quarterback could leave you in a position where you take two and then play the matchups every week. And if you do that, Sam Bradford's probably one of the options you consider for that second spot. He's never really had great weapons in St. Louis. He's never really had good health in St. Louis. Uh, He is finally uh, shedding his knee brace, and he's expected to play in the Eagles' first preseason game. So health-wise, seems like uh, things are going pretty well coming off of his second career ACL tear. I mean, Bradford versus Mark Mark Sanchez, I I think Bradford wins the job and keeps it all year, but it's just so hard to know what the Eagles have in him because for a player that once went first overall, he just hasn't been in positions to really flash the talent that typically makes a player go that high in a draft. Yeah, so it'll definitely be a no-excuses scenario this year. I mean, even though they don't have the most proven receiving options aside from Matthews, Chip Kelly's going to give him, like, he's going to maximize his abilities. He's going to ask him to do things that he's good at, and he'll minimize the chances that he ends up in scenarios where he's not fit to, you know, produce. But it, basically the only question is the health for me. You, it's And it's there's no answer. You just have to, it, it's just a roll of the dice. So if he stays healthy, your pick will look brilliant, especially if you get him as late as he tends to go in drafts. Like, I actually took him in, in my Vegas League team as my quarterback one, and then I took, it was like, you know, like ninth round or something like that. Um, got Flacco as the backup. Um, I like my chances there, but yeah, it's like Chip Kelly's an up-tempo offense, very reliably, like that never changes. Um, Bradford, at the very least, is an accurate guy who's got a quick release. So, I mean, just, you know, up-tempo could equal a lot of pass attempts, and even if he's not averaging that many touchdowns per pass, not averaging that much yardage per pass the volume alone should make him pretty good and uh i think there's a chance that the talent that you know he was believed to have all along will finally show up in a setting where it's you know things aren't so stacked against him yeah one of the more intriguing things i'm I'm seeing here looking at some of the numbers from the last time we saw sam bradford on the field in st louis in 2013 he only played seven games he threw 262 passes he only intercepted four times it's actually really kind of important to think about that Uh, The success that Nick Foles had in Philadelphia his first time through was predicated on not turning the ball over. So, I mean, if Bradford can just be efficient, get rid of the ball quickly, make the right reads, he could have plenty of success in that system. And It wouldn't be shocking at all if he finished the year as a top eight fantasy quarterback, just given Kelly's system and the fact that there actually is some talent there. But I think you do have to draft a second guy. Yeah. regardless of where you take Bradford, because as you mentioned, health, the health grade's an F. I mean, there's just no way around that. Two ACL tears in two years will do that. Um, and it's an offense, like it's up-tempo. You do have to be mobile. If he has any trouble with the knee, it's going to be very apparent, I think, very quickly. Staying in the NFC East, the Cowboys seemingly have no running back following the departure of DeMarco Murray. It seemed like AP to Dallas was the most likely thing that would happen this offseason. It didn't materialize. AP working out his contract uh, with Minnesota. Of course, he'll stay with the Vikings. So now you've got Joseph Randall in the mix, maybe the favorite for the job right now. Uh, Darren McFadden brought in from Oakland, noted breakfast defector and fan of fourth meal. My favorite photograph of Darren McFadden ever taken is a photo of Darren McFadden standing in front of his car in front of a Taco Bell, which is the most random photo I have ever seen. Clearly, though, a fan of, of the Bell and... Uh, Frankly, I don't know if that explains anything about his lackluster performance over the years in Oakland. I've been so disappointed by Darren McFadden so many times because he was a great player in college. Right. I mean, that McFadden-Jones duo at Arkansas was outstanding. He was great for like seven games in the NFL, too, that one year where he caught like 60 passes, you know? Yeah. Started going top five the next year, and it's all been over since. But yep. One. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the ground beef consumption is like dehydrating his soft tissue and making him hamstring pull prone, but that's that's where he's at right now, and it kind of looks like he might not even uh, make the team to, you know, be, become familiar with the area T-Bell scene. I mean, it's bad. I mean, he's got a hamstring strain already. He's expected to miss roughly a week. We're about halfway through that. They don't think it's serious, according to Jason Garrett, um, but... For a player who's averaged fewer than three and a half yards per carry for each of the last three seasons, how much does getting out of Oakland and potentially behind the league's best offensive line in Dallas make you excited about him? Is it just that he's a, a late or a mid-round flyer? Or is it that you look at him and say, if he does win the job, he takes a huge bump up in your rankings as draft time approaches at the end of August? 
Well, if he were to take the starting job, that would make him valuable. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I mean, he's just, I think he's just bad now. And Joseph Randall uh, is bad off the field. But on the field, he's actually, it seems to be pretty decent. Uh, I don't think, even if Darren McFadden is given like a split carry situation with Joseph Randall to start the year, basically on name recognition, I don't see the the Cowboys sticking with it for more than three games or something because it's just going to, you know, it's going to be two yards, a cloud of dust. And then every time Randall's on the field, they will be noticeably more explosive and it's just they're just going to stop. I'm not I'm not at all convinced that he makes the team, even though they they don't really have any running backs besides him. You get guys like Lance Dunbar, a holdover from the last couple seasons. Uh, Lake Seastrunk, who was cut, I think, by the Redskins last year. That guy would be interesting if he should somehow get on the field, but it seems unlikely just because I, I assume he, like NFL coaches, just consider him like impossible to work with as a pass blocker or some some other kind of some kind of problem aside from his pure running ability because he's really explosive, was really good at Baylor, but uh, the NFL just wants nothing to do with him for some reason. Yeah, it's strange. I'm looking at the measurables here on his player page at rotowire.com. He's got a 4.3740, which grades out as elite compared to other running backs. Uh, 42-inch vertical, also elite. 134-inch broad jump, which means very little to me other than that it's elite. So, I mean, freakish athleticism. Wait, what was the broad jump? 134 inches. That's a ton. Yeah, so that's that's really, really high. Like, usually, like, 122 is considered, like, slightly above average. Um, So that's got to be close to a record or something. Um, Yeah, they got Byron Jones and Lake Seastrunk. They're going to broad jump over every opponent this year. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like he's just not going to get stick around. Cause it's like, why wouldn't you have gotten a shot by now? If he were some, somebody that teams were willing to work with. Well, I will say that if the Redskins cut a guy, I'm not convinced that he can't play, you know, like they, they're, they're kind of like the Raiders East in terms of personnel decisions. So that, that could actually be the guy you look at behind Randall who ends up being the next man up. I mean, I mean just, if you're just in a dynasty on, league and it's like no cost to you, I mean, might as well see if that practice squad guy ends up, you know, just having an injury spree if in front of him and ends up just lucking into it. The end game sometimes in those leagues, you know, just looking for a name that has upside, he at least has it. But like you said, might not even make the roster based on the, the track record to this point. As far as the passing game goes, it's the Dez show. And then what else? You have another uh, another year older version of Jason Witten. Uh, Terrence Williams has problems hanging out of the ball. Uh, you got Cole Beasley, kind of the Thanksgiving Day PPR machine. Otherwise, like what what is there to like here behind Dez? Is there Nothing. any reason to think Williams could become the the player he was expected to be a couple of years ago? I hate the Dallas uh, like target situation. Aside from Dez, it's like Witten Witten was good for a really long time, but he's he's like thirty three now or something, and he's actually a year older in football years than most players because he's been in the league since he was twenty. Um, Gavin Escobar, they spent a second round. Dallas does this like every four years. They take a tight end, a backup tight end in the second round, don't use them at all, and then they go start for other teams. Anthony Fasano, I mean, he wasn't any good, but he still started for two different teams after Dallas just had him on the bench. Martellus Bennett had a 90 reception season, and they were just like, "Eh, can't find any way to use this guy. Uh, And now they're doing the same thing with Gavin Escobar. You would think that they might go to like more two tight end to get him on the field because he was a really good pass catcher in college. Um, you know, a big target who could really help out in the red zone. Uh, Terrence Williams, I don't really like. I mean, he's he's decent, but really his numbers are a product of Romo's efficiency as a passer. The rest of them, like Cole Beasley, I, I, what, what, why, why are they? They gave him a, like a pretty big contract in the offseason. The guy just isn't very for, yeah, good. For a role guy, yeah, it was kind of a surprising contract extension. Deep deep sleeper in the Dallas uh, depth chart that we have right now. Uh, George Farmer from uh, USC, was he was kind of like the, the uh, George Atkinson of the most recent draft class. He was just this guy who was like a four or five star recruit some combination of hurt or not productive all the time in college, but then he's, he's got like, you know, really great athletic testing. So if he might kind of Bryce Butler his way into some kind of unexpected role there. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's like, if, if, if not for Des, it's just kind of bleak in my opinion. Is that a problem for, for Des? I mean, is he going to see even more attention than usual with, nah. with these issues or is this just something he's always had to deal with? I mean, I think the Cowboys as a whole could take a step back as a team just because they, they lack talent. Maybe they overachieved a little last year, or 
maybe it's a case where they do just play good defense, run the ball effectively, and Romo, if he can manage the efficiency he had a year ago, maybe they can just repeat what they did. I don't, I just don't feel like they're any better than they were a year ago. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I mean, Romo is consistently great, and that's the only thing that's made them competitive for you know the past twenty years, basically. Um, but yeah, does as far as his fantasy situation goes, I'm, I'm the thing that disappoints me most about his situation is is not let he doesn't get help from other players on his offense or whatever i actually think it's good if a receiver doesn't have competition for targets i'd rather have a guy who you know has inefficient per target numbers but has enormous target volume uh rather than like dallas right now does not throw the ball to des bryant enough he's out he's consistently averaging like over 10 yards a target obviously a touchdown machine and they still hold back their passing game volume for what i think is kind of a misguided you know uh, arbitrary commitment to running the ball they just decide like well we want to establish the run it's like don't you want to get a first down instead like just throw it to Des. um like they should be giving him an antonio brown type volume of targets but they don't like they just they use him like a lot of teams give their wide receiver two targets um but yeah it, it does is super high floor and his touchdown potential gives him a super high ceiling too um, so it's kind of a nitpicky, but I do think he could go to a totally different level if they would just alter their approach and funnel more targets to him specifically. I think it's at least a possibility, though, now without DeMarco Murray, because as much as you want to establish the run, maybe you just can't. Like yeah, there's going to be missing volume in some respect. So, it, but yeah, it's just they they don't do enough, you know, specific plays to get Des the ball. They they don't have a, they have too many plays where it's like, yeah, let's keep terrence williams in mind in this one it's like no just just make every single route designed to get des free that's all that they should do but they don't do it quite enough football season is just a few weeks away at draftkings.com draftkings.com is america's favorite one week fantasy football site where you could win enormous cash prizes every week last season eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015 but also play one week fantasy at draftkings.com Head over to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter ROTOWIRE for a free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Somehow we've gone 33 minutes without even bringing up the Patriots who dominate the offseason headlines, if only because, well, there's one major sports network to get all of your football news from from February through July. Tom Brady uh, still facing a four-game suspension after that suspension was upheld by the NFL uh, last week. Shocker that the the same body that gave him the suspension in the first place upheld it upon further review, which maybe didn't even actually happen, but they at least pretended as though it did. Uh, Players Association has filed a suit. Uh, It's going to be in New York, not in Minnesota, as uh, I don't know. The judge in this case just said he saw little reason for the action to have been commenced in Minnesota at all because. Arbitration proceedings took place in New York, and the award was issued in New York. Uh, bottom line here, Brady's still facing a four-game suspension. How does it impact the rest of the offense if that holds up? I mean, if we get to week one and Brady is, in fact, unavailable to play, Jimmy Garoppolo starts at quarterback, does Rob Gronkowski's value take a hit? Do the running backs become more valuable? They're going to be without LeGarrette Blunt for the opener uh, as well. I mean, how does this impact the Patriots in the early weeks of the season? I I doubt it will be a huge deal, but they won't. I doubt Garoppolo throws downfield as much as Brady. I mean, when I watched his uh, Eastern Illinois tape, I remember thinking his deep ball was pretty much just not even a thing at all. So if anything, I I can actually see Brady being an active helping Gronkowski, at least in PPR situations, because if Garoppolo is smart, he's not really going to look anywhere else. He's just going to be he's going to remember like, oh, this is my first start. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. I should throw to that guy who's going to the Hall of Fame over there because that that just seems like a smart thing to do. Uh, I'm I'm not worried about Gronk like really ever. He's kind of like Randy Moss in the early 2000s for me. It's just like whatever quarterback is back there should do well throwing to him and he should get fed always. But yeah, the rest of that offense, I mean, who knows? Even when they're at full strength, who knows? I mean, Belichick is liable to just invert his personnel with no warning, no notice, no reasoning necessarily. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think with Gronk, you, you don't worry because he seems quarterback-proof in many ways. Like You put him on the field with arguably the worst quarterback in the league, and he's still going to get plenty of targets. He's still going to catch most of those targets because you can just run short and intermediate routes, and if you can't hit Rob Gronkowski, you can't hit anything. I mean, frankly, right. he's the easiest guy to throw to probably in the entire league 
other than what Megatron? I, I think Gronk is just even more dominant because it's like he's he's sometimes you have to put a linebacker on him and yeah, you're gonna put a safety over the top too, but it's just there's he can he can beat corners and yet he's in the part of the field where there are none, so he's just he's just too good. They've got a mess at running back in New England right now. I mean, again, blunt with the suspension. Uh, you're going to have Jonas Gray, James White, Tavares Cadet, some combination of those three. Maybe Brandon Bolden shows up again in week one. But Brandon Bolden, to me, is just only there to siphon value away from the other backs. Do you like anybody in the early weeks here, at least in the opener, with blunt down? No, I I mean I like James White as a running back prospect, but it, I can't tell whether he's you know got much traction in that organization. There, he was a fourth round pick, but uh, they obviously went out and went after Trevaris Cadet um, after they lost Shane Vereen in free agency. So they they didn't seem to think White was a fit for whatever that specific Vereen role Vereen role was. Um, but yeah, so white is even more like a, a between the tackles guy. I think, I mean, he's got good hands, but he doesn't have the speed that Vereen did or that cadet does. So he doesn't seem like that he's going to get on the field. And so I guess Jonas gray is the default, but if, if, uh, if anything was indicated last year, it seems that Belichick doesn't really value him, even if he has a, you know, three touchdown game or whatever. So I think it's just going to be a, a messy committee that one week and then Blount should kind of take care of that whole backfield once he's back. We've been seeing the Badgers a lot, being guys that are in Madison. We've watched Melvin Gordon and James White, and before that, Monte Ball, all three of those guys on the same roster at one point a few seasons back. And you could see the progression from Ball to White to Gordon, where it seemed like White was clearly better than Ball. More effective, more explosive, at least. Especially early in his career. like He was actually like way better than Ball as a true freshman, but then ball like lost 15 pounds or something and he got better as a result but yeah what as you were saying like white is was definitely like the most efficient uh or more efficient than like john clay and monty ball um uh, before melvin gordon just totally threw off the scale in gordon i mean for, for wisconsin running backs gordon is probably their best physical talent at running back in 10 15 years i mean oh ever by like by he, far yeah he's he's like the problem people have i think with wisconsin running backs is that from a fantasy standpoint there have been a lot of disasters there have been guys that have busted in a big way kind of going back to ron dane brian michael calhoun. bennett brian calhoun blew out his knees i actually thought brian calhoun was going to be a pretty good nfl player not necessarily a guy that's going to be an every down star but i thought if he were healthy he would have been a good like ppr third down type back so i think with with this whole group and with Ball's recent failure in Denver, which he said problems hanging out of the ball, it seems like at times he's not in the correct position to block. He like, just wasn't. He's never been that good. He, he was. He was an overdraft too. I mean, like yeah. they, he was drafted way too early. They took him ahead of Lacey. Like, wow. I mean, it, it, that's hard to believe. Like, that. really, when you think back at it. And my contention at that time and all along has been that White is better, and Gordon by far was the best of the bunch. I think White, if he gets the chance, will be good. But New England's running back situation, year in and year out, is one that I stay away from. It's yeah. just like New Orleans. It's I don't, I don't go after New Orleans running backs either because I never know how exactly they're going to split up the carries in any given week because it seems to be so overwhelmingly matchup oriented. And as we know, Bill Belichick's not going to tip his hand and say it's Jonas Gray's week. Like that's not going to happen. Right, yeah. I I think Blount has value because it, like Belichick sticks with him for whatever reason, but anything else just isn't worth the heartburn. His <laughs> Belichick's love for LeGarrette Blunt is kind of puzzling. Like it, it really is. I mean, Blunt's not a bad talent. It's, it seems like kind of deliberate trolling in my opinion. Right. It it that's that's probably the best way to describe it. If you look at his time in New England, uh, throughout 2013, averaged 5 yards per carry as a part-time player. Last year, after being picked up when the Steelers let him go, 4.7 yards per carry. So he's been as good as he's been anywhere with the Patriots. And he had that first year with the Bucks, where he went over 1,000 yards that year, 5 yards per carry. So this is a talented guy. But I, again, I, I, just, I get so worried about how New England likes to handle its running backs that I never really want to make an investment, even when the price is low, which it certainly is uh, with the Garrett Blunt. Antonio Gates suspended four games for performance-enhancing drugs. Ladarius Green slotting into the starting lineup to begin Throw the year. Throw it to Ladarius Green, please. Will they though? Like that's that's the I don't real know. question. I don't know. They're they're they've been very awful about the situation so far. Um, I mean, it, it makes no sense that they don't throw him the ball, but uh, they seem committed to it. But 
their their previous uh, primary excuse for not throwing him the ball, Eddie Royal is no longer on the team. So uh, so I don't know. Whatever. We'll see. I think Ladarius will have awesome efficiency, but yeah, it's totally possible he just gets like five targets a game, even with Gates suspended. I've seen a lot of love for Stevie Johnson going yeah, to San Diego. I don't, I don't get it, but he does seem to have a way of impressing coaching staffs. Like they just, they just like how he runs routes on time and stuff that doesn't necessarily add up to production. I don't know if I want to back a guy that so willingly takes on deities when he drops the ball. Like that seems like a, a guy <laughs> that, while it's, it's a very bold thing to do. Well, he won't be afraid of safeties. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you, you, don't, you don't fear a he higher dares, power. He dares things to smite him daily that he can't comprehend the power of. I mean, I think the thing about it is that if you look where he's been the last two years, 2013, the Bills offense only played 12 games, and injuries were a problem there. Last year, getting buried on a San Francisco team that really didn't throw the ball that much, still at 8.7 yards per target, efficient when they threw it to him, but the volume wasn't there because the Harbaugh Niners really didn't want to throw the ball that much. This is a guy that had three consecutive seasons where he hauled in 75 or more passes and went over 1,000 yards. And He actually should have some at least PPR value, especially when Gates is out because, I mean, Floyd will never be anything but a guy they throw to like five times a game really deep. He's not going to have a, you know, a, a multifaceted role, whereas Johnson uh, seems like their slot guy. I mean, Rivers threw it to Royal a decent amount. Uh yeah, Stevie Johnson should get a decent number of targets there. I guess the question is just, like, is he going to have efficiency with them? Um, but getting the ball from Rivers as opposed to Kaepernick definitely helps him with that. Yeah, and I look at, I look at Keenan Allen, and I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by him this year, although the last report we had on him at the end of June was that Allen plans on losing some weight, which uh, it's nice to, to have plans to do that. Like, <laughs> actually do it. Like, this was in late June. If you're planning on losing weight in late June and you're an NFL player, it might be too late. He's just looking for his calendar still. It's totally <laughs> going to happen, though. He can't, can't find uh, HalHigdon.com. He's trying to get on that running program and just forgot the website. I actually do like his chance of a bounce back, though, if only because so many people are probably sour on him for like wrecking their season last year or whatever. There might be just like the overcompensation a year later. I just I love how how casual this, this player update was written, though. Allen plans on losing some weight. DVR... Plans on eating some tacos. Like, it's just it's so laid back. Uh, but uh, Allen, one of those guys really young coming into the league, just still just 23, uh, 6.4 yards per target last oh. year. And he played hurt. Yeah, he, he did play hurt. He had an injury, I think, coming into the year. Played through it. Played 14 games. Rivers I mean, played hurt, too. That was a factor. There was the, the broken collarbone that cost him the final two games. And if you go back to his rookie season, 10.1 yards per target is elite. I mean, that's that's amazing. He might not get back to that level, but is there any reason why he can't, even with the attention of opposing teams' top corners, is there any reason why Keenan Allen can't be an eight yards per target guy who pushes 80 catches in year three? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he showed the ability to do that as a rookie, you know, so... If if he can do if he can do it at that young of an age, um, when he was you know fresh off of a PCL injury uh, coming out of California, I I really think that it's especially because he's got Rivers throwing to him. I mean R- Rivers is one of those quarterbacks who are like truly elite, and I mean not as much now as a few years ago, um, but he's just one of those guys who you know like Romo. It's just he's always going to average a decent yards per pass, a decent touchdown percentage on his attempts, and Allen seems like the best candidate to catch however many of those he throws. So. One last news item to get to here, and uh, anytime you, you look at the sports page on July 5th or July 6th, you, you have this distinct possibility that something went wrong on the 4th of July, and something clearly went wrong in the world of Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, he had an accident with some fireworks, and uh, he had a finger amputated, and it's put things kind of in this strange holding pattern with the Giants. I mean, there's no real change in his contract situation. Doesn't have a timetable to join the team. Uh, apparently, he contacted members of the Giants front office over this past weekend, but he doesn't have a contract for this season. Is there any chance that he's just simply not going to end up playing for the Giants this year? Uh, who knows? I mean, it seems like they they are willing to let him sign the franchise tag simply because they already budgeted that amount of money to be available. And it's like this point in the offseason, it's not like they can just go sign some other, you know, $14 million a year free agent or something. 
So it seems like they're willing to like give him that franchise tag, like provided that he actually start allowing them to examine his physical condition because it seems like he's been purposely holding the team away from him for under his agent's advice or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he if he plays, it's going to be the weirdest thing ever. I mean, we've, I, people keep ringing up Ronnie Lott, and it's like Ronnie Lott didn't have his whole finger cut off, and he wasn't a defensive lineman, you know. So it, it's it seems like there's just no precedent, but the Giants. I mean, to their credit, I mean, it, I think it's pretty decent of them to leave that offer out there, um, provided that he, you know, start cooperating with them because they could just be, you know, totally cold about it. Um, they haven't quite been that so far. So whatever. It's it's a really nasty situation. Seemingly a guy that would have plenty of ability left if, I mean, this injury shouldn't completely derail him. He should be able to work through it. But then again, we really haven't seen Jason. This is the first study of this type of scenario. Right. It's, um, it it reminds me there was, there was an injury. Mike, Mike minor had surgery, I think going into last season for like scarring near the urethra and how that would impact a player was just like, it just sounds, it sounds horrible. How would this impact your throwing program in the off season, for example? And you know, if you're just uncomfortable in that region, maybe your mechanics are off and then you strain your forearm or your shoulder. And in minor's case, his shoulder ended up being a problem for him soon after. Probably because of that. I mean, the kinetic chain, I don't know how to explain it. Otherwise it's all part of the kinetic chain, right? Like everything is connected to everything else through the kinetic chain. That's what I've learned from, from Jeff Stotts over the years but nevertheless you're, you're right i mean there's just not really anything quite like this as far as jason pierre paul goes i'm curious to see how it plays out and if he ends up back in camp here with the giants in the near future thank you for listening to the roadwire fantasy football podcast brought to you by draftkings.com the leader in daily fantasy sports use the promo code rotowire when you make your deposit also check out rotowire for free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod jake and eric will be back with you on tuesday Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.